So Darren, thank you firstly for, for sitting down again because I chewed your ear off for about an hour before. But um, one of the things that, that we had a phone conversation the other day and one of the things that came up is the fact that like there were so many stories about Brian Clough and so many things that I wanted to ask you. But I just felt like we had so much to cover. There were so many stories that we kind of didn't get through. Um, and when we spoke the other day, you kind of rightly pointed out that there's all these little little things about him that you only really hear anecdotally because there wasn't a level of coverage that there is now, obviously. But you were really lucky in that you got to spend loads of time with him, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, it was... It was I don't think at the time I actually appreciated it because I was I was just starting out in a career that I never thought that I'd be able to be involved in. So that was enough of a, a jolt to the system anyway. And all these people that you were suddenly around, him being the centrepiece, they were all people that you saw from afar. So I've been a fan, you know, I've been standing on the trend end for him and, and watching his teams win leagues, European Cups, latterly with the Stuart Pearce, Des Walker team, League Cups and all that kind of thing. And then almost straight away, he's part and parcel of my working day to a, a large extent. And it, it was it was bizarre because he'd always been the person. In, like my, um, I was brought up to a large extent by my grandparents, my mum and my grandparents. My dad wasn't around, so um, my granddad was the biggest Brian Clough fan that you could meet. So it was kind of a saying in our house, if I did anything wrong from being a little kid, my granddad would say, I'll tell Mr. Clough. <laughs> so that was like, he was like this, almost like this disciplinarian in my house. So it was, it was mad, really. So all of a sudden, you, you, you know, you're, you're covering it and, and you're getting the chance to spend some time with him, but... In my world, he was like this mythical figure. You, you didn't meet Brian Clough. You didn't see Brian Clough. <laughs> he was Brian Clough. You know, he was like, I don't know. He, he, was, he, was, this, he was this figure. Okay. So then when I, when I, as I told you before, I got the chance to do that first interview with him. The first person I wanted to tell was my granddad because my granddad never met him and I never met him. And, and it was this kind of surreal situation that now he was this person that I was going to have contact with. So on the back of the interview that I did with him before that Man United match where he screwed my notes up and made me feel really awkward and made me sweat, at the end of it, he'd actually said to me, come and see me again sometime. So, of course, my naivety, I'm then thinking, well, he's, I've got an open invitation. That's, this is <laughs> a bit of coffee like that. You know, this is, he wants me to go back. So this was on the Friday. They played Man United on the Sunday and they won. Stuart Pearce scored a free kick from 30-odd yards past Les Seeley, I think it was, and they won 1-0, um, which kind of made a mockery of the question I'd asked him about the season being mediocre up to that point. <laughs> um, but the, the following midweek, they went to play Plymouth in a cup tie. So we went all the way down. Myself, sports editor, drove all the way down to, to Plymouth to cover this game. And before the game kicked off, obviously Forrest and Cluffy being at Plymouth was a big thing. You know, Plymouth were further down the pyramid, so they weren't playing teams like Forrest very often. So he came out, Cluffy, about a quarter past half past seven and sat on the side of the pitch. And the young supporters from Plymouth were all flocking to that part of the ground 
to get the programme signed. And he was happily signing away. He was in good form and all that. So my boss said to me at the time, obviously knowing what was going to happen, well, go on, take that machine down, the, the, you had the recording device, and go and interview him again. He likes you. He said, <laughs> come back and see him. So I'm thinking, yeah, fine. No, I'm not even thinking that this is not going to happen. So off I go. And as, I, as I'm walking along the touchline, the there's a big stand, the big main stand at Plymouth. He's sat in front of that, which is pretty full there. Um, as I'm walking along, I can, I can hear him say, get away from me. <laughs> but I'm thinking he must be talking to somebody else, you know, because he's, he's told me that he wants me to come and see me again sometime. You know, we're all right, we're like that. As I get nearer, I hear him say again, I told you. Get away from me. So I'm thinking, ah, he must mean me. But now you've got nowhere to go. So you're in front of all these people. The stand has got this, your boss sat in it watching you. Uh. So you've got to make every effort, you know. So I end up getting really near to him. And he stood up, walked away from the, the youngsters who he signed an autograph for, pretended to trip over and then literally shoulder charge me away <laughs> in front of all these people. <laughs> so at this point, the penny dropped. So off I, I trudge away. Now. <laughs> he sits back down and starts doing his autographs. I go back up to the commentary position. And the sports editor said to me then, he went, let that be lesson number one. He said, very, very awkward man to deal with in that regard. Forget what he says. He'll speak to you when he wants to speak to you, and when he doesn't, he won't. And let that be a lesson to you. Don't get carried away by what he said. So there was kind of lesson number one. Um, but it was mad because I'd gone from one extreme to the other. You know, this is crappy. I'm interviewing Brian Clough to the next minute being shoulder charged out of the way. Wait a minute, pretty much part and parcel of the way that it went. You know, you 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 had to take the ups and downs. He was a very um, unpredictable person. Um, he was completely in control of, of, of that relationship with, with the reporters, uh, broadcasters, written journalists. He dictated the way that relationship went. The beauty of it was that he was extremely giving when you got some time. So you, you, were, you, you were accepting of the situation, knowing that three or four times a season, you'd get some time and you'd sit with him and he'd give you the best interview you'd had since the last time you sat with him. So it was... It was it was um, a very unusual situation. Every other manager that I've ever covered as a local radio reporter, it's vastly different now. But back then, you would, you'd see the manager once a week at least, and you'd give him a call most mornings to check on injuries, you know, any, any, anything we need to know, and they would be your source of information. Never at Forest. You know, you, you waited, and, and you, you were told eventually what you needed to be told when it, when it suited. But it's... it's the more I think about it, the older I get, the more football changes, the more special that that time becomes. You know, and it's it's I remember little bits and pieces as as you go, and you think, Oh yeah, and I you, I, I found some photos in the loft the other day, which I put on social media. I look about twelve and I've got a gigantic oversized blue umbro coat on and Cluffy's got the sheepskin <laughs> and he's got older me and that, that was the night he turned the Christmas lights on in the city of Nottingham. And we'd asked him to do it, and he came, and he was great. 
and he turned the Christmas lights on and he took the microphone off the fella that was hosting the night. He sang a Frank Sinatra song <laughs> in, the, in the market square. And this is, these are the kind of things that, that, that you got with him. You know, it was, it was, it was mad, it re- really mad. It was just a bizarre, bizarre situation that was wonderful, but totally unpredictable. Do you reckon you started to um, like almost crave his approval? That must be like a really weird position to be in, in that you're like, you're, you're interviewing him, but at the same time, you're like, oh, I've, I've idolised you. Like, I want, I yeah. want you to kind of almost live up to expectation. I, I would say a variation of that. You were acutely aware that any mistake you make, he would seize upon. So there was no, there was no room for error. So you, you needed to be sharp. You've got to be prepared. You've got to ask the right things. If you didn't ask the right things, he'd put you away. Now, a lot of the time, on reflection, that made the interview better. Because that was the spontaneity and the little bits that the listener liked. It's a bit embarrassing for you to be on the end of it at that time. But that was part and parcel of doing it. And it came to the territory. I don't think it was ever a case of seeking approval. But I think it was, you always felt good about yourself when you got the acknowledgement or a bit of time. Because that that meant so much. Um, And he'd... He would pick. He would pick the time. I mean, I, I think I did the interview with him around the Man United match, and then probably didn't see him again till the back end of that season. When I mean, to put it into perspective, they, they reached the FA Cup final for the first time under Cluffy that year, '91. So I joined in August '1990, May '91. Um, they were in the cup final, and of course, you get access to the manager. Well, nobody did. So I remember at the time, as the local station doing commentary on the match, we got no interview with Brian Clough about being in the cup final at all. He decided at that point that he wasn't doing it, and that was it. We spoke to every single player, um, but we never spoke to the manager. And the only interview we had with him before the 91 FA Cup final was, was, was done randomly by a journalist who worked for Chilton Radio, I think it was, in Luton, who happened to bump into him somewhere and did this ad hoc interview with Cluffy on the FA Cup final. And that's, that was the piece we had. We never spoke to him at all around that time. And they, they were in the Cup final. Didn't speak to him on the day. Didn't speak to him after. Didn't speak to him before. Because that, that was something he didn't want to do. Now, whether that was because he was feeling one or two nerves because he was in the FA Cup final for the first time, and that was his holy grail to, to a large extent. I don't know. But he was never available around that time. Yet there would be kind of random periods during the season where he'd say, and he always used to use the key phrase, get your machine, you're working. He'd walk past you, get your machine, you're working. And off you went. So whenever you went to the ground, you've got to be prepared. You might get called in. So that was that was pretty much the way it was and it w- was that a chance was it was it just that that person that just caught him on a good day was it a chance or do you reckon there was like almost some sort of strategy there like i'll only do it when i'm ready sort of thing i think he tended to do it when he got something to say right. when he wanted to make a point he was very good at manipulating the media in that regard he understood it you know he'd been been a big part of it for many years from being a regular guest on the television during the itv days and all that and what I would say that he was, he was very giving to the media. 
but he used to work very closely with a journalist called John Lawson, who used to work on the local paper in Nottingham, and then there was some kind of industrial dispute. They all got made redundant, and Brian, when he first came, decided that he was going to help John. So John and Brian were extremely close. Now, Brian spoke to John all the time. So John would travel on the team coach, and all the post-match quotes that Brian gave to the national papers essentially went through John. And John was almost like his unofficial media man. So we used to pick up a lot of stuff from Cluffy through John. That was the way he liked to do it. So he was, he was doing media stuff, but he just wasn't doing it on an individual basis unless it, unless it really suited him. After, after 91, actually, do you know what? There's something I wanted to ask you about 91. Do you remember at the time him, the way he walked out with Terry Venable? Yeah, because I, the, my, see, I wasn't commentating then. So right. the sports editor was commentating then. But I'd spent a lot of the year doing interviews at Forest. So in the, in the weeks leading up to the final, Shipstons were the, the sponsor at the time. That was what was on the shirts. That was a local brewery. So Shipstons decided in uh, a week or two before the final, each night two players would be at a pub. So on one night it would be Des Walker and Gary Charles, and the next night would be Gary Parker and Nigel Jemson, and then it would be you know X, Y, and Z. So we we'd paid into the players' pool to be allowed to go to all these events. So we spoke to every player about the cup final, put them out as specials on the radio each day, and, and we told their, their story. So with that in mind, they decided that I would be the pitch side reporter at Wembley. So I sat, I, it's mad really, I sat behind the goal, to, to the right of the goal, the end where Crossley saved Lineker's penalty. I'm sat next to the post. And it, you can see, that there's a, if you watch the game back, which, which I obviously did, you can, when there's a corner, I'm sat there next to the goalpost, essentially, just a little bit behind this advertising board, sat there watching the game. So, on that day, um, I was there to speak to the players, so I was really close to it. So, with regard to all of that, I mean, it literally, this was my end was the tunnel end, so they literally walked past us. You know, it was we had Gascoigne. We knew that Gascoigne was, was slightly unhinged on the day, way before the kickoff because of his behaviour before. So when they did the traditional walk on the pitch before, he was all over the place. I mean, zooming around and spitting orange juice at people and all this kind of thing. He was completely off the scale. So you kind of knew that something was, was not right with Gascoigne that day. Um, and then, of course, they, they walk out, Brian and Terry Venables at the front. You know, Brian's holding his hand and he's got the big rosette, world's best granddad and all that kind of thing. And they, they literally walked past us. So... I was privileged enough to actually be down there. And of course, it turned out to be the end as well where Des Walker scored the own goal. So um, a lot happened at that end of Wembley. But to see all that narrative unfold pretty much eight or nine months after I'd walked into the job was was was, was amazing, really amazing. It was, can you, it was crazy. Can you remember the next time you spoke to him after that? Well, it was, supposed, it was supposed to be the following day because they got a civic reception planned anyway in the city in case they won it. And they ended up doing the civic reception. They didn't cancel it. So all the players and the, and the staff went to the civic reception. And I, I'm pretty sure that I spoke to Brian very briefly the following day um, at one of, the, one of the venues for the civic reception. Um, nothing really other than disappointed. You know, it wasn't, 
anything particularly memorable that time. My my main involvement with him came a little bit later. I mean, we. I I always I don't have a great deal of memories of that ninety one ninety two season, other than the fact they reached the Rumbelows Cup final, lost to Man United that year. Um, I actually got smashed in the nose while I was interviewing Alex Ferguson, as he was back then, in the tunnel at Wembley. And I, I'm interviewing him live on the radio with blood streaming down my nose and onto my shirt. And just this <laughs> bewildered look on Ferguson's face. Somebody had just turned around in the scrum and caught me with a shoulder. And of course, you're live, so you've got to keep going at that stage. So I've got blood rolling down my face onto my shirt and Ferguson thinking, who's this guy? Who <laughs> yeah, but there was nothing, not a great deal happening that, that, that year. But then the following year, it was obviously the situation where Brian retired. The end of Forest were relegated and we saw his health deteriorate all the way through. But there was a couple of fantastic things that will live with me forever from that, from that season. Um, he was awarded the freedom of the city and nothing midway through it. Um, and that involved a full day, really, of all kinds of events all around the city and the county. He was off to plant a tree in Sherwood Forest and then he was at the castle and it all culminated in a big um, evening at the council house in the city centre where he'd be honoured as, as, as a freeman in the city. So again, we were waiting for the phone call from the club. The manager will see you. So I'm getting tremendous pressure from the news editor at the time because we have no interview. Now, I get the call to say, let's say, I can't remember what day of the week it was, but let's say it's a Wednesday. So I get the call, the boss will see you on Tuesday. Great. Be at the ground for midday. Lovely. So the day before the event, I, I arrive. Lovely sunny day. Remember it. I can, I can vividly see the pictures in my mind now. So Brian's secretary said, the boss said, just wait for him in the car park because it's a nice sunny day. He'll speak to you out there. Fine. So I'm stood outside and then... I didn't really pay a great deal of attention, but they have uh, civic cars, or they used to have civic cars in Nottingham, big green cars with flags on the front. Big, they, were, they were big Volvo saloons back then. You remember the old Volvo, big long yeah. Volvos? They were those. This fella, I see this car drive into the car park, but I don't think anything of it. The next minute, Brian comes out, suited and booted, and the car pulls up, and he says, get in the car. So I get in the back of the car with Duffy, I said to him, where are we going? And he said, well, he said, it's, it's the dress rehearsal for the day tomorrow. So I thought you'd enjoy it. So I'm in the back of the car. So off we go. We go to all the places that he's going to go the following day. So they're talking him through the event. So you'll come here and you'll plant the tree and we're going to do that there. And, and there'll be a media thing there and people will be stood there. And then we'll go here and here. And we eventually get to the council house. So then we... We, we do a dress rehearsal for the reception. So, Cluffy's himself, so he's walking in from here, and they're saying to me, you stand there, you've been the Lord Mayor, so so, you'll, so, I'm, so we've done this entire thing. <laughs> we, did, we did the interview preview in the day in the, in the council chamber where it was all going to happen the following night. Um, took it back. Amazing. I mean, I, I spent the day with Brian Clough rehearsing to be the freedom of the city, freedom of the city, city Nottingham. I mean, you can't buy that, can you? I mean, no. it's like, there was only me and him. It was like, it was astonishing. And we got back, we did it. And then the following day, I covered the event for the, the radio station, culminating in being in the chamber that night and seeing it all happen, sat in the press seat, and blah, blah, blah. But 
I knew exactly what yeah. what was going to happen. And that, those were the small things that you, the little privileged moments that you got, for whatever reason it was, that, that you were able to take away and, and, and share. And that there was a situation too, when he retired at the, at the end of the year, by the way, the football club handled that appallingly. Um, the last match, we, we, we commentated um, on the, the game against Sheffield United. I, I was commentating that day when Glenn Hodges and Brian Gale scored the goals and they were relegated. Did no media for us, nothing. Um, then they played Ipswich the following week, already relegated. Then his last ever game, was against Knox County in, in what they call the County Cup, which is a traditional fixture where Knox County, Mansfield and Forest play off and they have a final to work out who the Nottinghamshire County champions are. And it's been going on for years and years and years. I don't actually think they do it anymore. But his last ever match was a Wednesday night game at the City Ground at home against Knox County. So Carol again, the secretary, called and said, the boss will see you because we've not done anything with him about this being his last game, he, he decided not to. He, done it, he each individual person when he saw fit. So, five o'clock, we're at the ground, and Brian arrives with his wife, Barbara, and I'm sat in the corridor in the same seat that I actually sat in three or four years before when he left me sat there for three hours and then completely took the pen. <laughs> so I'm sat there with another colleague, of mine, who'd been told to come at the same time. So we, we we get taken down to Brian's office at the end of the corridor. And it's a bit of an old adage. If there's two of you doing an interview, if you can go second, that's best because you let the first person warm him up a little bit, you know. So I sat down and I thought, well, I'll, I, won't, I, won't, I won't say who the person is. So I, I said, yeah, you're okay, you, you, know, you go first. So he said to me, hey, he said, you're first. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. So I sat down and I did the interview. And again, it was the real to real. So we got limited time, probably 10 minutes. And we, you know, we did the nothing special, the, the bog standard interview that you do. How do you want to be remembered? How are you feeling? You know, highs, lows. What are you going to do now? All that. So we finished one or two pleasantries. Brilliant. Um, so I go to leave. So he, he said, sit yourself down. So I've sat back on the settee. So the next fella is going to do his. So he asks the first question. And nothing. Just ignored it. So he, he asks another question. Nothing. Ignored it. Now I'm sitting there now thinking, this is awkward now. Because I've done mine. But I'm starting, to, I'm starting to giggle a bit as well. Because you, I mean, like, what do you do? <laughs> so I'm thinking, I can't let him see me laughing. So he asked the third question, nothing. Fourth question, I mean, this reel, reel's going round and round and round. So what's the tape through? You've had it. You... So fourth question, he stood up. And he, he, he's got a flat cap on a peg in the office. He picked the flat cap up off the peg and walked back a few paces to skim the cap on the peg and then answered the question. So he asked another one. And he does the same thing, gets the bat off, skims it back on the peg and asks the question. And by this stage, I mean, the tape pretty much gone. So <laughs> we finish and off we go. So the, the, other, the, other, the other guy's crestfallen. I mean, he's got two answers, three answers. So he's, he's like, I'm, I'm going to get sacked. I, I can't go back to this. What, what am I going to do? I mean, he's literally, he's on the brink. 
So I said, well, look, I said, the only, the only option we've got is you'll have to take my interview because you could cut it. You could cut it and tape it back then. Yeah. I said, you're going to have to take this now. You're going to have to edit my questions out, put yours in and edit it together and then give it me back in one piece. I said, so we'll have the same answers. But if you jumble them up a little bit, nobody will ever know. And I tell you what, to this day on, nobody ever knew that. And no. he ended up, we ended up with exactly the same answers, jumbled up, <laughs> with his questions where mine were. And, and we, we, managed to get, we managed to get in through it together. Why do you reckon he did that? Why do you reckon? Like, well, he, he'd always got axe to grind. He'd he, he got, he got a memory like an elephant, so he'd never forget. <laughs> so if, if you'd annoyed him at any stage... He'd get you. He, he, yeah, he'd get you. He'd come back. He'd come back. I remember once he said, we, we all stood around outside his office door one Friday, hoping to be the one to get the nod to go in. And uh, he, he um, again, I'm, I'm not going to say the, the fella's name because he's still in the business. <laughs> um, so he, he, he gets this piece of paper out of his pocket and he said, which one of you is so-and-so? So the, the lad's gone. That's me, Mr. Clough, thinking I'm in. So he said, did you say, and he starts reading these quotes off from the commentary, Clough only in the team because he's the manager's son, Crosby a disgrace to wear the red shirt. So did you say all this, son? Of course, he's banged to rights because he's obviously said it and he's, he's been brought to his attention. So he said, uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So the fella's gone, what's that? He said, I'm going to sue you. So we're all thinking, oh my God. So he said, uh, and while I'm there, son, he said, uh, who's your producer? So the fella's gone. I produced the programme as well. So he said, oh, brilliant. I'll sue you twice. <laughs> and then he took every one of us into the office and did an interview for everybody apart from him. And it was, these are the kind of situations that you were involved in. That it's like, but it, it, it could be you. You know, it was as much likely to be you as anybody else. Nobody was doing anything wrong at this time. It was just, if it was your day, it was your day. And that's just the way it worked. But the thing is, it sounds like he took a shine to you, though. It sounds like he actually, like, on some level, he's sort of picked you out. A bit. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I wouldn't go that far because that, that would put me on some kind of pedestal that I shouldn't be on. I think what I, what I was lucky with, I never really got on the wrong side of it. Right. I wouldn't go as far as to say that he liked me or anything, but I just I just think I actually managed to avoid those potholes in the road by, by one way or the other. Yeah. Um, and I was probably not prominent enough in his mind to, at that stage, to be someone that he was taking genuine notice of. What I, what I did find with him, though, and it's the same as anybody else with, with certain standards and morals, the way you approach them and the way you are with them, politeness and all that, goes a long way with people like that. I was always really, really um, careful to, to treat him in the way that I thought he should be treated, you know. So, and, I, and I, I've always been quite accepting of situations. I've never been one of these... People that think, oh, no, well, I, I should be able to do that. You know, my view is, well, if he doesn't want to talk to me, that's fine. When he does, I'll enjoy it. So it never really bothered me. So I didn't really pester him. So that, that may well have helped. The beauty of it was, though, Ben, was that he was really poorly at the end. and It was really, really sad. And I remember the last interview that I did with him in the office that night, he said to me, uh, he said, we'll work again in the future. And I remember thinking at the time, I really hope that we do because... He'd had this awful season and 
he wasn't well and he knew he'd got to go and sort himself out. And the family were ready to help him do that. And I think we all thought at that time, I just wonder what the future's going to be. And a couple of years passed, maybe even a bit longer than that. And I started working with Gary Bertels, who won European Cups under Brian um, with Forrest. And I remember saying to him at the time, I said, uh, we never hear from the gaffer. Everybody called him the gaffer. Whether you'd worked for him or not, everybody called him the gaffer. Never hear from the gaffer. And we were doing a local radio phoning and all the commentaries on Forrest at the time. So I said to Gaz, I said, do you think he's fancy doing anything? So Gary said, well, I don't know. He said, I'll, ask, I'll ring Nigel. So he called Nigel, his son, just said, look, you know, would your dad be interested in doing anything? And I, I was astonished. So Nigel called Gary back and he said, uh, my dad had loved him, yeah? He said, nobody's asked him to do anything since he's retired. Can you imagine that? Nobody had asked him to do anything since he'd retired. Why do you think that was? You mean people no just afraid? Maybe. I had no idea. That's crazy. So I, I found this astonishing. So I, I said to Gaz, I said, well, look, we need to get our heads together on this and see what, what we think we should do. So we said, what about having it in once a month to do a phone-in into the studio? People could call in, talk to Cluffy. Brilliant. Yeah, he'd love to. So from that point on, pretty much every month, he came in and he'd sit in the studio, we'd take calls, we'd talk about what was topical at the time. He'd have his opinions, which was great. And then when we finished, he'd stick around for an hour or so and he just wanted to reminisce and tell his stories. And I mean, I sat there listening to some of these things thinking, I've got, I've got the golden ticket. I'm sat here. I mean, I, I never said a word because it wasn't my place. So I've got Gary Bertels, Sometimes it was Archie Gemmell, sometimes it was Ron Fenton, his old assistant manager, sometimes it was Nigel, who'd come to pick him up. And they're all chatting and reminiscing about these times. And I'm just sat there thinking, this is, this is, this is utopia for a, a football nut. And I used to sit and listen, you know, listen to what he'd got to say, and then he'd go. And then um, he said, uh, we, we got word that he quite fancied doing a bit more. So we said, okay. So he said, well, does he fancy doing some co-commentary? So, yeah, he'd love to. So now we're turning up at the occasional ground, myself and Gary, with Brian Clough as the co-commentator. Now, let's put this into perspective. We're not BT or Sky or Match of the Day or whatever it is. We were Century Radio East Midlands, right? Yeah. So, I mean... On the, on the scale of it, we're down here. I mean, we're, we're just inconsequential. We're not even five live. We're not five live. We're not talk sport. We're nowhere near. We're a local radio station. And we're turning up at the ground. And most people, when we asked for the press pass, thought we were taking the mickey. That they didn't believe he was coming. And we turn up at the ground with Cluffy in tow. We pick him up. He'd get him come with us in the car. And he'd do co-commentary with him. And... We probably did three or four of those. We remember we did a Forest Derby match at the City Ground. We did a Derby Man United match at, at Pride Park. He did an England game at, at Leicester. He was mortified that night. Ericsson was the England manager. I think England played Serbia and Montenegro on the night, and he was appalled by the fact. I think England had six captains that night. Yeah, and they were literally getting subbed off, and the armband would get thrown. And at one stage, it landed on the ground, and he just lost his mind. Because he'd only won the two caps, 
and he cared passionately about the England team. And the way that, that whole thing was handled that night pulled him. He, he was he was he was hurt by it. He thought it was terrible. It was appalling. Um, he also wasn't too happy about the stand of the captain, by the way. Some of the lads that got the armband on, he thought that was a joke as well. Um, but so, so we 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 do that, and and I remember him being sharp as a razor, absolutely sharp as a razor. We we did a game at Forest played Derby one day, and he spotted something wrong with the Forest team within five minutes. And he said, "Listen, if he changes it, he'll be okay. If he doesn't, going to be in trouble." On it, on, on and on and on and on and on it went. Forest lost the game. There were a couple of goals down by the time the change was made that he called for after five minutes. And at that stage, it all swung round. And even though they lost, they were the better team. And he thought. He saw that, you know, he knew that, he saw it. Um, and I remember we did that game that day and he was in great form. He brought his grandson with him to sit with him in the, in the commentary position. And, and I, he was chatting away, um, doing his co-commentary bit. And I remember saying at the time, I said, you know what, Brian? I said, I could, I could stop commentating and just sit and listen to you. <laughs> Straight back, he said, son, he said, I think the audience would appreciate that. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so it, it, it was such a privilege, you know. It was such a privilege. We we even did an after dinner evening with him in Rotherham, of all places, where he we, we did this after dinner. Gary and I had turned up, and Cluffy's the guest, and we got in there, and, and we we just had this spell of I can't even recall how long it was, where he just kind of did stuff with us, and he was only doing stuff with us. It was it was mad that we we got this absolute legend of the game doing all this. I mean, you imagine that now. Imagine if you're a local radio station. No local radio station. Let's not even think about the night. You're a local radio station, and you rock up to do a commentary that Alex Ferguson is your co-cop. It's just not it's a thing, just, is it? It's not happening. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's not happening. It's just, in a million years. And I tell you the reason why he did it. He did it because he thought the world of Gary Burton. This had nothing to do with me. He thought the world of Gary. So Gary had run himself into the ground at home and in Europe for him down the years. And he had a lot of love for Gary. And Gary was close to Nigel. And he did this because he he, he thought that much of, of, of Gary. And we, we were lucky to be able to capitalise on that and have him in and do that with him. <clears throat> um, How long was that window of, of time? How long was that sort of window of time where you had this sort of like gold period? Probably a couple of years it would have been. God. A couple of years. Are you sort of pinching of yourself at the time? Are you sort of like, yeah. I can't believe this is like who we're turning up with? Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and, but, no, but the people at the stadium couldn't believe he was there. Even though we'd said we need three press passes, Darren Fletcher, Gary Burton, and Brian Clough. I don't think anybody quite believes it. <laughs> They were, they were, I think they thought it was a bit of a wind-up, but then we turned up with him and there'd be this mad panic. Because, of course, everybody revered him. You know, he was such a big figure. But I remember we, we, we used to do a thing called the Century Radio Football Awards. We did it two years. And the first year, it was for the player of the year and the team of the year and the goal of the year and all that. We got the, the, the listeners to, um, to vote on the, all the awards and... We invited people, so Derby County had a table, Leicester City had a table, Forest had a table. So the first year, we, we decided to give Brian the Merit Award. So we invited him, and he came, and he, he brought the family with him. So we had a table of ten, which he filled himself, his wife, and, and Nigel, and Simon, and all, all, the, all the family were there. Brilliant. Um, 
Mickey Thomas was, was part of the Century Group at the time, so Mickey was there. And we were, all the money that was raised on the night was, was for charity. And we got uh, Jeff Hurst as the, the speaker, so Jeff was going to speak yeah. as well. So we do the Merit Award, this is the last award of the night, and then Jeff's going to go on and do his bit. So everybody was suited and booted. Um, Gary and I were stood either side of him at the back in dark grey suits, black shirts and black ties. So we think he's going to come and accept the award and that'll be it. Little did we know that we were going to get an impromptu stand-up for 20 minutes. So up he gets, blah, 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 merit award winner, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Clough. Up he comes. The first thing he said, because he'd not, he'd, not, he'd not been well, so... He'd, he'd had the liver transplant by this stage and he, he was on his feet. He was, he was well now. He'd not been well. So his only line on the night was, he said, uh, he said, I know I've not been well. He said, but I didn't think they'd stand me up here tonight with two bloody undertakers, <laughs> myself and Gary, with the dark suits and the dark, dark ties and all that. So this sets it off. So the only person in the room who'd not come smart was Mickey Thomas. Mickey had got a sweatshirt and a pair of trousers. So the next line he says, he said, uh, he said, I know we're all here raising money tonight. He said, and you know, it's a, it's a great cause, X, Y, and Z. He said, but I just wonder if you could do me a favour and let me take a few quid out the pot so I can buy Mickey Thomas a bloody tie. So this was the next thing. So he's then gone through and entertained everybody with stories and blah. Now I, I'm stood to the right and I can see the colour draining from Jeff Hurst's tape. <laughs> so Brian then gets to the end. He said, listen, he said, I've got to love you and leave you. He said, I've got a fantastic table. He said, but the wife now is at the cringing stage. He said, so I'm going to sit down. Thanks very much. And off he went. So I've, everybody's applauded. Off we've gone. So we've gone around the back of the stage. And, and Jeff said, have I really got to go on now after that? I mean, you imagine following that. He said, you know, and then he went on and he was brilliant. I mean, Jeff, Jeff was brilliant as well. He, he, he rose, to the, rose to the challenge. But I just saw I just saw the colour going. The longer Cluffy was on, the, the paler Jeff was getting, knowing that he'd got to follow this wonderful impromptu speech that was that was it was gold. It was it was amazing, really. So, so yeah, we, it was it was it was, it was, it was fun times. Can you remember? I guess this is a little bit more sad to talk about. Can you remember what, like sort of the last times that you saw him? Like when it uh, sort of got towards that point because he'd got healthier again, hadn't he? And then yeah, yeah, he had, he had, and, and at that stage, um, I left, I left the station to to go and work at Five Live. So that all stopped. So during that period of time, I, I wasn't working with him. So my memories of him were as a, a fellow of the up, that he, he had his health problems and he'd come out the other side. And he was enjoying life and he was enjoying doing what he was doing again. Um, so, so in that in that regard, I was I was away from that. What what will always stick with me is that final year at Forest, where he really struggled, um, and, and you know, whatever the reasons were behind it, I think the death of Peter Taylor that year, without him patching it up, certainly played a, a significant part. Um, it, it was extremely sad that year, but you kind of spent the entire season pulling for him just to stay up. Well, just stay up. Stay up and then retire. Don't get relegated and, and, and go that way. Just stay up. Last kick of the season, goal. Just stay up by a point. Whatever you do, goal difference. Just don't go down. Yeah. I mean, just a season, watching him deteriorate and get worse and worse, but just clinging to this hope that 
he could somehow pull it around, um, which unfortunately he didn't. Um, but I think ultimately, when you look back on it, it was a good thing because it enabled him to walk away and then in the privacy of, of his own home and get himself right and get back on, get back on his feet again um, and, and come back really strongly for, for, for a period of time, which was, which was great to see. When you, when you look back at that kind of particularly good period, when you sort of had those couple of years together, um, now, I know you said it earlier, but now, are you kind of getting more and more fond of it as you go on? The more that you do in media where you see that yeah. players are harder to speak to, managers are harder to speak to, not, just, not because they want to be, just by sheer nature of the way football's going. Are you yeah. now getting more and more fond of that period? I am because I'm, I'm, I'm hugely biased. I'm, I'm Nottingham born and bred. And for me, he's the finest football manager that we've had. I don't think any, any of the contemporaries, with the exception of Ferguson, would have achieved what he did with the teams he achieved them with. Relatively middle to small towns in Derby and Nottingham. League championships with both. Playing a brand of football that was outstanding. Developing young players talent spotting, motivating, winning European Cup, building teams over and over and over again. The only comparison you'd make, really, I think, and, and I, I'm too young to remember the impact that Shankly had at Liverpool when he first got there, but I certainly look at what Ferguson did with Aberdeen in, in winning a European trophy and, and, and taking the dominance away from Rangers and Celtic for a period of time. That would be comparable, but Cluffy did it twice. And Cluffy was also able to go to Forest and... At the time when he was winning league titles and European Cups there, that was a very, 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 very good Liverpool team that he was able to get the better of. So for me, he sits at the top of the tree. So when I see the kind of adulation that people get now, and, and, I, and I, I think that I was able to enjoy a small part of what he did, and I would give anything, by the way, absolutely anything, to have been able to cover him during that period, 77 to 81, where they won the league championship, a couple of league cups and two European cups. I give everything, anything to be part of that. Anything and everything. So I, I think the more I look back on it now and the more I speak to my own son about that time, um, it, it just makes the memories more special. And, I, and I, I'm sad a little bit in ways for, for guys today that you don't get that opportunity anymore. You know, it's so difficult now to, to form a relationship with a footballer or a manager because it's changed. You know, it's all goes through the press office now and it, it's very controlled and you, you know you don't get the chance to do that probably because from their perspective the demands are much greater now and so many more people need content so the clubs have got to make sure that they can handle all of that and do it effectively and professionally so it's probably not possible now so to be able to have done that then does make that more special yeah but it, but he, it also kind of sounds like he sort of made up his own rules anyway you know, like, the, 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 these weren't normal things to happen, you know. Like, how many other people would have got the freedom of the city of Nottingham? You know? He would have been a press officer's nightmare because he would have spoken <laughs> when he wanted to speak about whatever he wanted to speak about. I, you know, what, I also don't remember, because I was too young, when he used to be on ITV on the World Cup panels and all that kind of thing. But I'd love to see him now with, with, with television football coverage as it is today. He'd be the superstar. I mean, yeah. you know, people think that Gary Neville's good and whatever. Graham Souness says his piece and what have you, and Rio Ferdinand with us and all this kind of thing. He would have been on a different level. I mean, he, people like Mourinho. You, 
this guy would have been off the scale and then he would have been box office. So um, I, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, but it, it, it was just, I don't know, it, just, just being around it. You know, he's it, just, just little bits that would, that would occur. Like John Robertson, who won the European Cup twice with him and the league title. Cluffy always regarded Robbo as, as the pinnacle, you know. But when John had finished, he used to come to the ground on a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday morning for a coffee and a cigarette in the Jubilee Club, which would buy the changing rooms. And that's where we used to stand and wait for the players to come back and ask them to do their interviews. So John would be stood there with a, with a cigarette and a coffee. And the minute he saw Cluffy, the fag would be behind his back because <laughs> Cluffy didn't want him smoking. And he'd hide it and there'd be smoke coming up above his head. And Cluffy would say to him, I know what you're bloody doing. Because he could see, he knew he'd got a fag on. And then when he'd gone, Robbo would say, I'm still petrified of him now. I'm a 50-year-old man and I'm frightened to death. And it was just this, he just had this this, this charisma and this... It's like an aura. He always knew when he was there. He could walk in a room and you didn't know he was there, but you could feel his presence. It was... It, it was it was it was mad. It was he, he had a he had a real real air about him. Man, just just little little bits, you know that, that you kind of remember from time to time. Do you remember when this happened? Is oh, you know, everybody tells the story. Man. And I think yeah. that's the thing with him, right? Is it is like sort of all, even now, he sort of still carries that. Like everyone, it feels like everyone's got a story, or people have got they haven't got a video. They've got a, oh, I must tell you about this, this, this time, you know. Um, no, yeah. I, I'm, Darren, I really, really appreciate you, you sitting down with us again and, and taking the time to talk for it because he is such a special character and I'm, I'm really glad that you've kind of, that there's a way of actually getting these stories to be heard, you know, because it's just incredible. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a unique time for me and something I'll never forget, very, very special time. I think regardless of what happens, it will always be what I look back on as the most special opportunity that I was given to spend that little fraction of time around it. Um, and yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, it was bad. I mean, he'd he come back on the team coach and he didn't smoke himself, but he liked the smell of the cigarette. So he'd get Albert the bus driver to light a cigarette and put it in the ashtray at the front of the bus. And then he'd, he'd put, he put Dean Martin records on on the on the on the on the bus, and the lads would be set out of the back. You know, England internationals just won at Man United with a, a cigarette burning on the front of the bus, and Dean Martin blasting out. I mean, it, you, you, you can't you can't write it. You know, it's just and yet, like it would. I just it, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. I mean, like there's just no way that we can. You know. Like, it just can't. can't no, it'll, it'll never be the same. That, that will never happen again. It would never happen again. You know, he, he used to go to certain grounds, grounds he played at. They so went to Sunderland or Middlesbrough, and that meant more to him than going anywhere else. So he'd literally open the bus up, and the kids would get on at the front, walk right the way down the bus, and get all the Forest players to sign the programme, all the Sunderland kids or Middlesbrough kids, and then get off the door at the back. And he'd literally wait there until they'd all finished, and then the bus could leave, because that, that was his area. So he wanted to try and give something back. I mean, you imagine that now. Kids getting on the front door of the Man United bus, all the way down the back, getting all the signatures and getting off at the end. I mean, it's just, it's just little cameos of things that, that happen um, that, that, you, that you, you'd see and it, it, it kind of you, triggers the memory again. You think, oh, yeah, what about that? What about that? And when, 
when everybody sits down, people around at that time, whether they be players or people who work to the club, and you sit down over a cup of coffee and the stories start flowing. I mean, there's a million of you know a million of these things that because he was he was he was a one off, so it was it was it was mad. Um, Darren, thank you so much again. Like, honestly, I can't I can't thank you enough. It's been it's been wicked. Like really, really good. for my for I guess for my generation. So I having just just slightly missed him. Like there is this kind of like this aura, this kind of like folklore, a myth and stuff. And it's it's so great to kind of dive into it and get to hear it from someone who was that close to it. So no, I really the crazy thing it. is, it's probably all true. As well, yeah, it's probably yeah. all true. Exactly. That's the best thing exactly. about it. All, none of this stuff's made up. It's all true, you know. And I'm only scratching the surface. So the thing is, you, that's imagine. what I was going to say. You're going to have another. You're going to literally come off the call, and you're like, they'll be like, "Oh my god, I didn't mention X. Or I did that <laughs> thing that happened." And we'll have to we'll have to do it again, mate. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, definitely um, enjoyed it. Absolute legend. Thank you, mate. Thanks, mate.